Uh, the question that we have this morning is how far should a church go in caring for others? That's what we kind of see here in the passage. And so one of the joys that you see in working through the book, books of the Bible, you run into certain things in Scripture that are kind of difficult. And so this morning we have uh, a, a section of First Timothy that's about widows and how do we address widows. And I don't know if you know this or not, but widows are not a, a predominant group at Integrity Church. And so how do we apply uh, what we see here in First Timothy chapter 5? to our church. And I think part of it is what we see here is how are we faced with caring for others? How does a church rightly care and steward the resources that we have to love and serve our city and the rest of the world? And you might say, well, we should just do whatever links possible to care for others, because that's, in fact, what Jesus did. Jesus uh, cared for others in the most radical way by giving his life for us. And so, of course, we want to be able to care for each others in that same way. And yes, I agree, uh, through the lenses of the gospel, through the lenses of seeing Christ's sacrificial work, we should want to serve and and love others. But uh, what we also see, and this is going to seem contrary to what we see in Scripture, but there are some groups of people that we cannot help effectively if we want to continue to be a faithful and effective church for the gospel. And so, meaning we are not going to be able to help every single person, okay? And so I'm going to explain that. And, and, and I, I thought that we could um, early on in our church, and I've learned throughout my life that we, in fact, can't. And I learned this, and I think in college, um, I, I lived in a um, house in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and we had a, a bunch of buddies of mine. We, we wanted to go in cheap. And so we said, we're going we're gonna to find this old historic house. And it was built in the late 1800s, and it was right, right near where I went to school. And we, we chipped in. We fit, it was like $190 a month, I think, to live there. So the living conditions were amazing, all right? Um, and uh, back in that day, we had a T, like almost a T1 internet connection because we had like a geeky friend. Everybody needs a geeky friend that can set up your internet for you. And that's what we had. And so we had like these network computers in this big, giant house, it's stinky house. People called it the hot dog house. And I don't know if it was because, it wasn't because we made hot dogs, all right? It's because it stank, all right? And so we had this house that we lived in and um, we all had a room, a big historic house. And so we were like, you know what? We should use this house to really serve other people. And so we had this desire. A bunch of us, six of us, got together and we said, we're going to start to feed um, homeless people in downtown Raleigh. And this is what we're going to do. This is going to be part of our mission on Saturday mornings. Every Saturday morning, we're going to get up and, and do this. And so we started getting up and we would, um, we would actually bring hot dogs. Um, and uh, we would take hot dogs downtown Raleigh and begin to serve these homeless people and begin to share the gospel with them, begin to walk through who Christ is and how you can have a relationship with Christ. And so, but what we started noticing is there were certain groups of guys that was kind of clinging to us. And so we met this one guy in particular that we were like, man, this guy has incredible needs. He has this long story about how he got laid off from his job and he hasn't seen his son in years and he's trying to get enough money to get to, I think he lived in like Northern Virginia or something like that. That's what his, he said his son had and so he couldn't get to his son and we were going to try to get him to his son. This guy's in his mid to late 30s, homeless guy on the street. And we we're like, man, we got to help this guy. We've got to help this guy. And so we began to clothe him. We would give him some of our clothes that didn't fit. Um, uh, he was about my frame. And so I was giving him tons of my clothes. and said, man, look, look, you can just have these. And we began to, to uh, bring him into our house. There's nights that he stayed over at our house. And we would begin to kind of walk through what the gospel is. It was very, very risky, very 
very naive. Um, and we, man, uh, one of our buddies had a cleaning service. We got him a job with the cleaning service. And we were just doing all of these things to help this guy um, so that we could ultimately bring him into our church and that he would, you know, become a believer and he would, you know, get back on his feet and one day see his son. But when we started noticing, every time he stayed over, things got missing, Right. And this story has got a little bit more sketchy. We're like, okay, well, we'll drive you to go see your son. No, 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 he's not there right now. And it was always these, like, we never really knew the story. And the more and more questions we asked, the more we realized we were just getting scammed. Um, He stopped showing up at work and started saying he got beat up. Or he, you know, ran into a draft. Or, you know, it was just always these really insane stories that we couldn't figure out. And so... What we realize is this guy is just taking advantage of us. And so the problem, what you see in this is if we did that with every single person, we would not have any resources and we wouldn't be effective in our own personal ministries if we did this with every single person that we saw. And so in the same way, the church has to have certain boundaries that we hold to Because we honestly could not minister to every single person. You see this in Acts. When the church begins, it blows up. It becomes almost a it becomes a mega church overnight. You see thousands of people come to know Christ when the very first church was ever started, and people were showing up by the droves, and they had to uh, elect deacons and servants to serve this church, and they, they could not do it effectively unless they had some guidelines to go by. And so what you see here is a church that is beginning to create some guidelines. And unfortunately, uh, our church, every week, it seems, we get a call from somebody that needs some help. Uh, we get an email or a call from somebody just about every week. And, and much of the time, we cannot help because, unfortunately, in our culture, um, people have learned the art of being very um, uh, sketchy and being very uh, trying to get out of things, trying to get out of responsibility, and so the art of taking advantage of people. And so, what we have to do as a church, and we see this in, in how people were with Jesus, and we see this even in the New Testament, is we have to create some good, solid biblical guidelines around who can we serve well and who can't we serve. And so, here in First Timothy five, you have a church that has exploded with growth. This church is in Ephesus. Ephesus, there's no other church in the New Testament like it. It's very unique. Uh, It was growing rapidly. And what you would see are people coming in by the droves, one by one, with all these specific needs. And so among these needs, there was a group of widows that began to show up. And so Paul then has to ask the question, how do we handle widows. What do we do with widows? And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what the qualifications of widows are and then show us kind of how we can use this as an example of how we can resource well what God has brought us so that we can further and proclaim the gospel and we can be good stewards uh, to pour into the lives of others. So the first thing you see in verse 3 is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, honor widows who are truly widows. 
Now, in the Old Testament, what you see is we see extra, extraordinary uh, care and honor for widows. This idea came right out of the Ten Commandments. I think it's the um, Fifth Commandment that we see in Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother. And so the word honor is not this way that we would even see in like Memorial Day, where we might ask uh, veterans to stand and say, thank you for serving our country. And, or it's not even a um, yes, ma'am, um, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, or or uh, this sense of like looking at someone older or looking at someone who's done this extraordinary and honoring them with putting a corsage on them or something like that. It's nothing like that. Actually, the understanding that people had was the, the way that we would honor a widow was the very idea that you would provide for them financially. And we would take care of them and, and help them as they have, are in recent loss. And so a widow was someone that we would care for in this way. And so God himself understood how to defend widows. Actually, right after, he gives the fifth commandment of honoring your father and mother. He says this in Exodus 22, verse 22 through 24. It says this, you shall not mistreat any widow or a fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. That's some really serious words that God uses about how believers were to treat widows, or about how Israel is supposed to treat widows. If you don't treat them right, look, I'll kill you, right? Your, your own wife's going to be a widow if you don't do this. And so this is a serious, I mean, you even see Deuteronomy 10, verse 18. He, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. So throughout the Old Testament, we see God defending this certain group of people, widows. And what he's trying to show is when people fail us, God is faithful. When people fail us, God is faithful. And what he's trying to show is, look, people are going to hijack your life. People are going to wrong you. But where, where, where people are absent, God can be faithful. And then this whole idea that God has in the Old Testament, it carried on through in the New Testament, in the early church. If you look in James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so what Paul does is he continues this biblical pattern of taking care of widows. We see it in the Old Testament, and we see it in the early church in the New Testament. And Paul is continuing this idea. And I would argue that perhaps Paul went even beyond the biblical instruction and what has happened here is as young Timothy, his disciple, has come in and he's beginning to pastor this church, Paul is saying, look, we have chaos on our hands because we have, we have gone so far to reach widows that we can't meet all the needs. What a church, right? And what, what would it be like if integrity could get to that place where we were serving so many people that we couldn't meet all the needs and we had to say, look, we've we got to have some qualifications here. We have to have some, some certain rules so that we're not getting taken advantage of. And this is what is happening here in 1 Timothy. You had too many widows that are coming through the door and they're basically on taking in the church budget. They're on church welfare. So Paul says, we have to do something about this. And this all comes through this whole idea and this whole concept that he says in verse 2 of chapter 5. 
that we are to treat older women as mothers. We're to treat younger women as sisters. These are our sisters in Christ. So we've got to care for these ladies. We've got to. And so let's just notice how this all plays out. This understanding of family, understanding how we love these women, but, but we also have to serve them well and resource our church well. So notice what it says in verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Notice what he says first. He says, we need to honor those who are truly widows. This phrase shows up three different times in this particular text. Three different times he says, we need to look after those who are truly widows. And what he's saying is, those who are truly destitute, those who their family cannot take care of them. So the intent is that a widow, if if they lost their husband, then their family would take care of the slack. That God, as God would say in the Old Testament, that he would be faithful when people are not faithful, when people die, or when people um, bail on you. This God would be faithful in the same way. What he wants in the the gospel is that when people fail, God's people will show up as a family and provide for the needs of those who are hurting. And so what you would see here in the text and what you would see in this culture are is like a homestead. If you've ever been overseas, I've been to Africa a couple of years ago. I went to Africa and I saw a homestead. And a homestead is kind of like, it's kind of like a mini village where you're, you, you live here and your uncle lives here and your cousin lives here. And they're all like right on top of each other, basically. And you, some of them are living the same at your cousin and your, and your brother, all in the same room. It's just gross, right? I mean, that's, in my mind, it's gross, right? And, and, but you're seeing it all kind of happen. Everyone's kind of involved, too involved in your life. And, and some of you, if you've grown up in Eastern North Carolina, you've experienced the same thing. I remember my, my grandmother, she had uh, right, right beside her was her youngest son, and right beside her was a younger son. And they, they live right on the same road, and that's the way it is. And some of y'all have maybe grown up and you've seen your uncle right across the street and right around the corner, right next to the water towers, your grandmother. And it's because it's the idea of this farming community that you see in Eastern North Carolina. And sometimes to, to, to get the farm going, the family, everyone has to kind of pitch in. And sometimes everyone knows your junk, right? Everyone's really involved in your life. And they want to know, where, what's this person doing? Well, why, why'd they do this? And why'd they buy that car? Why didn't they, why didn't they go to see this movie? It's just like, all, you're just all on top of each other, right? And this is what you had in this family setting, even here in the New Testament. It's very similar to what we would see in the South, but it's just a little bit more involved because it is um, assumed that if you were to lose a loved one, then it's assumed that your family is going to pitch in and take up the slack. Of course they're going to do that. This is, this is how we live. This is a part of what we do together. 
And this is why he says so boldly in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And what Paul is saying, look, Roman pagans even take care of their family. Roman pagans even step in and do this. And for a, for a believer, a claiming believer to not do this is worse than a Roman pagan. And let's not escape the tension in the text because of the cultural differences. Because I think there's some things that still reign true in today. Men need to lead their households and provide for their households. And I would argue if they don't, they're worse than a non-believer. I think there's, a t- there's tension there in the text that we, we can't escape. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to remember that this is a letter that we are studying this morning, that we're going through. This letter would be written from Paul to young Timothy, but sometimes it was read publicly in front of the whole church. And they're they're hearing the whole church. Let's just say we're in this room right now, and I'm reading a letter to Integrity Church, and I'm just saying, here's, here's some of the ways that we serve widows. And this is what Paul is telling them. This is God's word to them. And as they're hearing it, they're probably thinking, well, some have heard this and thought about a widow who's in need. Oh, I know a lady who's in need, and we got to go serve her. Some have maybe thought, man, I, I, I'm not taking care of my family. I need to go take care of Man, Paul's saying I'm worse than a non-believer. I need to go take care of my family. Others would might think, well, maybe I'm getting taken advantage of. Maybe, maybe I don't need to help this particular widow. And so this is why he says in verse 5, he says, um, she who is truly a a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. So one of the qualifications that he says that we need to look for is this is a woman who isn't indulged in her suffering. She's not talking about it every time you see her. And if it's fresh on her mind, she's going through it. You walk through it together, but she's not 10 years down the road reminding everyone that she's a widow. But her life then is about serving others. She's, she has a reputation of serving others. She has a, a reputation of life and in prayer. One of my favorite characters in all of scripture is a lady named Anna. It's in Luke chapter two. Anna is a woman who had dedicated her life. She was a widow. She was 84 years old. She dedicated her life to praying in the temple and fasting and basically just waiting for Jesus to come and praying and longing for Jesus to come. And then, interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 2, toward the end, you see Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus to, to this woman who's been praying. All, and she says, we have redemption here. We have redemption right in front. And she's been praying for Jesus to show up. What, what a way to pray, ladies. What a way to pray, men, that we would pray in this way that, Jesus, would you just show yourself to the city? And this is what's happening here. This is a woman that Paul is saying, this is the type of woman we want to put on the top of the list of those that we serve and those that we minister to. But notice what else we see in verse 9. It says this, let a woman, let a widow be enrolled If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation, that is a key word here, reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet 
of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. First of all, she has an age requirement. She has to be at least older than 60. In this culture, it would be in a retirement age, would be 60. It's also kind of uh, assumed that that's, you're not going to marry anymore if you're 60. I don't know why that's a special age, but um, that's, that's one of the requirements. She says it's highly recommended that uh, a widow would stay single so that it would be effective in ministry. And he's saying basically, if she's reached 60, she's probably not going to remarry. And then you see the, the qualifications after verse 9. It begins to talk about the kind of woman that she is, very specific things on how she serves the body. But here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think it's a if-then uh, situation. I don't want you to think it's like, if she does these things, then we serve her. If she, if she shows up and if she's serving and washing the feet of these people who are coming, if she's taking care of her own children, check. If it's like a checklist thing, then we'll take care of her. It's not that at all, because here's why it's not that. The gospel's not that. It's not one of these things we say, if you do good, then we will reward you for doing good. It's not this situation at all. If you notice the word, it says, this is her reputation. This is what this woman is known for doing. So we're not saying, go do these things, then we'll take care of you. It's, wow, look at how she serves the body. Look at how she takes care of her her own family. She has shown good rapport among believers and among her own family. We've got to take care of this woman. We've got to pour into her life. I mean, you notice he even says she's a husband of one wife. She has a reputation of being committed and loyal. And this is the kind of person that we want to help. And then notice he kind of gives another qualification in verse 11. He says this, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur uh, condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. Now, we know this from earlier on in 1 Timothy. We see um, that women were not marrying their husbands. Um, there was a, a teaching there that, we, that believed that we were in a spiritual resurrection, that our bodies were spiritually resurrected. So in order for you to be a, a varsity-level Christian, you had to abstain from certain foods. Uh, you wouldn't marry because we're spiritual bodies, and, and so gender roles were all jacked up. There was no differentiation between man and woman, so there's no reason to marry. And so what Paul's doing here is he's telling uh, these young women he wants them to marry, to to manage their own households, to to be at home with the kids and help raise the family. This is what Paul is advocating. Get back to what, what would be called traditional gender roles, where the husband is leading his family. His wife is biblically submitting to her husband as to the Lord. And so he's getting back to this, this, these gender roles here in this text. But what he's saying is, as these women who are younger lose their husbands, he says, let's not 
automatically put them in the same category as we would a 60-year-old woman. Because they're probably going to go and try to find a husband. And then Paul kind of says it somewhat jokingly. When they do that, they're going to kind of go crazy, all right? They're going to kind of go nuts. Um, He says sometimes they're like busybodies. They're just looking for a husband. They're just running around looking for a husband. They're they're talking about other girls because they're saying, you know, she's not as hot as me, and just trying to promote themselves so that they would find this man. They're they're taking pictures of themselves in the Instagram, right? The the duck face, right? There's Twitters have long, unnecessary hashtags, right? They really believe that you can find true love on The Bachelorette, I mean, or Bachelor, and which is uh, funny to me that people still watch that show. Um, they know the rap part to the Sugarland song, Stuck Like Glue. I mean, that, that is when you have hit rock bottom as a single girl. And so, um, and so Paul is saying, look, we have got to really watch out for these young women who have lost their husband because there's a chance they might go crazy, all right? There's a chance they might be a little bit too much of a busybody. So we've got to ha- encourage them to get married, but, but we, we've got to help them in the way that would be honoring to the Lord. We can't help them the way we would help a 60-year-old woman who has tremendous needs. And so Paul is saying there's got to be some qualifications around this. He doesn't want his single women to be caught up in singleness culture, all right? That means you're, you know, I'm going to pop some tags. You're getting caught up in the club scene, right? And you're just trying to find your man, Right? I mean, there's this whole myth out there, too, of like, um, amen, thank you, there he is. Um, He's bitter. Um, There's this whole myth out there, too, of like, we we tell women all the time here in integrity, we tell women all the time here in integrity, if you you just commit yourself to Jesus, and you commit yourself to the gospel, and you commit yourself as a single person, that you wouldn't get caught up in singleness culture, but you would just be caught up in what it means to further the gospel. And we said this to our young men, the same thing. If you focus on what it means to be a man who grows and loves the gospel, and you let God bring you that right woman, you let God bring you that right man. And this is what we want from our single people who are here. So we want, this is what Paul wanted for his widows who had just lost their spouse. He's saying, look, commit yourself to Christ. Let, let, let Jesus' name be famous, whether you're single or not. But there's this myth out there for young ladies, I think, that happens. We've heard it over and over again in our culture, in Christian culture, of if you are content, God will bring you the right one. And then what you have are all these women who are like, I'm content. Where is he, right? I'm just waiting for it. God, he said he was going to do it. If I'm content, I'm content. Where is he? And that still is you not being content. I hope you understand that, right? Because the, the goal is you're committed to Christ. You're committed to the gospel. And that is your laser focus, This is for men and women. This is our laser focus is to be on Christ and his mission. And so what what happens and what Paul is trying to warn this church about is, look, if if we help and resource this young woman out who just lost her husband in the same way we would a 60 year old woman, it it we're only funding singleness culture. And we don't want to do that. We want to fund something that would further 
display and promote the gospel. And so Paul is trying to guard, listen, this church from finding themselves in extracurricular activities. And so what, what he wants is there's two reasons that I think what Paul is trying to advocate here. One thing is he wants the church to display the gospel. And the way that we take care of widows is not so that we would just take care of widows for the sake of humanity. It's for the sake of displaying the gospel. To where a widow comes into the body of Christ who is broken and hurt and burdened. And a church of many ages, many diverse backgrounds, many, back, many cultures represented, takes care of this widow. And a lost and skeptical world looks in and they say, how? Nowhere else does that happen where people are this sacrificial. Nowhere else do we see this, but only in God's household do we see this. Only in this family we see this. How unique, how strange, how amazing. And so there's one is to display the gospel. The other is to further the gospel. If you've noticed a couple of things that Paul is looking for is a reputation, these are the women that we want to help because these are the women that are going to help us continue to further the gospel. So we want to help them so that they can help us further the gospel. And so it's to display the gospel and to further the gospel because he doesn't want them to become an extracurricular activity that's just helping them just for the sake of helping them. And what you see often and tragically are churches here in North America that we find ourselves in extracurricular activities. There's like programs for everything. And over-programatize the church to where it's just an institution of, if you have this one small issue, if you have this big issue, we'll help you with all of these things. And it becomes like the institution is to do that. And the people of God are not on mission when that happens. And so what Paul wants is a church that is on mission, that doesn't lose sight of furthering the gospel. They're not getting caught up in this. This is our widow ministry, right? This is widow class 101, right? Weeping willows, you know, that's the weeping willow class, you know. There's a big graphic with, you know, (laughs) roots everywhere, you know. It's just like, um, so he's trying to guard them from that. And he's trying to get to the point of, this is so that we can further and promote the gospel. Because we're not, at some point, we're just running an organization that's just designed to help widows. That's not what he wants. We help widows to help us so that we might display the gospel to a skeptical world. Notice with me in verse 15. Verse 16, rather, it says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. How does this apply to Integrity Church Because I think I've said earlier, um, widows are not predominant here. But we can't escape the tension in James 1 that tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, what James is saying, what we see in the New Testament, one of the greatest 
ways to display the gospel is to take care of widows and orphans. And in this context, I believe that we could add single mothers to this mix. 40% of children go to bed at night without their father in their home. I think there's a great need in Greenville for us to reach out single mothers and widows. I know there's life groups that have taken care of specific women who have, uh, their, their husbands have abandoned them and left them with their children. But I've got to say, man, this is one of the biggest apologetics and probably one of the, the most triumphant times that we've had at Integrity is when we reached out to single mothers. And they see it as their husbands abandoned them, their, their sons, their, father, their kids are fatherless, but now they have a family around the gospel. We've seen it happen once where we had a lady come and she was bitter over a divorce. She, had a, she was left with her son and had no father around. He didn't even talk to his father maybe once a year. And here, when she came in, we saw her come to know Jesus. We saw her grow in community. And I, I've never seen it before, but he had, all of a sudden, this young boy had older brothers in his life, helping him grow in his relationship with God, helping him grow in his relationship with his mother, teaching him how to do stuff like fish and how to play basketball and how to throw a football. And then he became like a part of the family. And I think there's something so rich in that to where lost people look and peek into that and they would say, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I do that because I get community service hours, right? Or it makes me feel better. But what it does for us is it, it displays the gospel so beautifully because it shows us this picture of what Paul's trying to get at in verse one and two, that we are a family, that the church is a family. The other thing he talks about is orphans in James chapter one. I think one of the most incredible things I've seen, lots of friends that I know, we've, my wife and I, we've talked about it and wrestled with this, is what it looks like when believers adopt other children. And how, what, a, what a picture that is of the gospel, that the Father has adopted us in spite of who we are. We're sinners in need of a Savior, but he adopts us and he calls us his children. What a picture that is. And we even see this display in the New Testament. Take care of widows, take care of orphans. You would bring them into your own family. And so maybe for some of you, you need to begin to pray and ask God, would you just show me the needs around me for people that are really genuinely hurting, for people that really need help, that the gospel might be displayed and the gospel might be furthered in my life? Maybe you need to make some sacrifices Maybe you need to take some time and maybe help a single mother, maybe help a widow, maybe help a, a, a child without a home. Maybe some of you need to adopt a child who's in need of a family so that they would see the display of the gospel so beautifully that Christ is in the business of adopting us. Maybe for some of you, you are serving people, but maybe there's people in your life that you shouldn't be serving because they're taking up all your time and your resources and you're not getting anywhere. And for that, I would say, look at what Paul says about widows. Look at the qualifications that he lays out. We want to be good stewards so that we can continue to be effective and faithful. One of the things I always look for in people that I serve, and this is just a little acronym, this little lame acronym that I use, but I want to help people who are fat. 
And what that means is faithful, available, and teachable. Are these people faithful? Are they going to show up? Are they going to stick with me? Am I always going to have to go pick them up? Do I have to remind them? Are they available? Are they open? Is their schedule possible for me to speak into their life? Are they open to uh, me speaking into their life? Are they teachable? Can I sit down and walk through it with them? And they already know everything. And they want to teach me while they meet. Or is this a relationship that I can disciple them well? So we need to look for people to serve who are faithful, available, and teachable so that we're not using up all of God's resources and all of God's time for us. And so my hope is in this, as we look at this text, and we're haunted by the, we're sobered by the truth of this word, that in order to display the gospel in this way, there is a tension that we're to take care of those that the world will not take care of, where people are, are, are not faithful, but God is. Where people fail, God is faithful. And let us be a church that is pure and undefiled before God the Father by faithfully and effectively displaying and furthering the gospel among those who are in need. To the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us this morning as a church family, that we would be a church that is faithful and effective.